and welcome to United Health Group's Weekly Dose Podcast, where we'll get you up to speed on the latest trends shaping the future of healthcare. And don't forget, the podcast is now available on Apple Podcasts and Spotify, so be sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode. Now on to the show. On June 26, 2000, scientists completed the first draft of the human genome, and as a result, scientists had decoded the complete genetic blueprint for building a human being. At the time, President Bill Clinton said the achievement would, quote, revolutionize the diagnosis, prevention, and treatment of most, if not all, human diseases, unquote. Yet, over 20 years later, there are few genomic tests available for routine medical use. What is holding up the genetic revolution? Here to discuss genomics and its future is Dr. Jill Hagencourt. She is the Chief Medical Officer of Optum Genomics. Well, Dr. Jill Hagencourt, welcome to the podcast. Hi, thanks so much for having me. So first question, what is genetic sequencing and why are people so excited about it? Well, the ability to sequence the genome lets us look at the blueprint for the genome or the kind of the instruction manual for how you make a human being. And it's important to understand the correct instructions um, you ever bought furniture at Ikea where you have to I have. together and read the instructions, right? Sometimes there can be a missing word in the instructions or an error in the instructions, and you can still put that table together. Other times that word is like so significant to the meaning of the sentence that you, you can no longer put the table together. And that's, that's the same analogy works with changes in DNA. So when we are able to sequence the DNA, we can actually look at, at the instruction manual for how you make a human being. And if we compare, you know, a, a patient's instruction manual to the quote unquote correct um, instruction manual, we can see where there are differences and if those differences are significant enough to um, break a certain function of a certain cell or organ. And that, that lets us better understand the cause of human diseases as well as um, gives us the ability to develop drugs that could treat that particular disease, or even now with gene editing, the ability to go in and correct the error in the instruction manual. Then that, of course, leads me to my, my next question, which is how does gene sequencing fit with gene therapies and gene editing? You answered it a little bit at the end, but could you go into a little bit more? Yeah, sure. When we can, um, for certain diseases, right, if they're, if they're caused by a an error in the instruction manual. And now with the ability to sequence the human genome, we can actually go find where that error is. Um, there's therapies, there's certain drugs that can be developed and several of them are already in the market now. Um, in particular, like there's one for cystic fibrosis, which is a, a disease that a lot of people have heard of. Um, it's where there's a, an, a mistake in the a gene called CFTR and it makes it so that the cell doesn't pump um, like chloride, chloride and sodium the way that it's supposed to. And that's why you get these mucousy buildups in, in their lungs and in their um, GI tract and pancreas um, or the kind of classic phenotypes of cystic fibrosis. But now we can actually go look at the instruction manual and the, and the, the DNA of the person with cystic fibrosis and see what error is, is in the instructions for making that CFTR gene. And if it's a particular kind of error that is making the channel stay closed, we can actually, you know, make a drug that holds it open. 
And, you know, thereby we're actually treating the cause of the disease rather than historically, we've always treated the symptoms of cystic fibrosis. This allows us to actually get down to where exactly the problem is in the cellular machinery and fix it. Um, alternatively, there's other approaches that are being um, explored right now that are very exciting. Um, with certain technologies, we can actually go in and using kind of molecular machinery, fix the instruction itself, right? So now it's going to make the protein that holds that gate open when it's supposed to hold that gate open. Um, so both are really exciting uh, possibilities made, made possible by our ability to sequence the, the human genome. How is all of this uh, genomics different from well-known commercial DNA testing like 23andMe? Ah, great question. Um, so 23andMe uses um, an older technology underlying their their tests that they provide or the, the reports that they provide. And it is not a, the kind of platform. It doesn't do a whole genome. It just looks at um, spots within the genome. And it's not appropriate for answering clinical questions, right? So if you want to know, you know, I think my patient might have a hereditary heart disease, cardiomyopathy, let's say, um, you would want to have a test that went in and looked at every single base pair in all of the genes that could cause cardiomyopathy. So that's how we would design a clinical test. Uh, in, a, in a platform like 23andMe, they could give you maybe one or two of the 100,000 base pairs that you wanted to look at, right? So you would, if you got a negative test, it was probably because you didn't look at all of the possible base pair, all the possible ways that those genes could have been broken. And it's okay. I mean, 23andMe wasn't really designed to answer clinical questions. It was designed to engage people, to help people start to think about their genetics, to drive family conversations about health, um, and to get you know people to get engaged and answer more questions about themselves so they combine that um, personal information with the genotype information, and it actually accelerates drug discoveries. Now, you've done a really great job kind of explaining what genetic sequencing is and why it's so promising. But that begs the question, why hasn't genomics had much of an impact on healthcare yet? It's been around for 20 years. Yeah, that's true. They, we finished the um, first you know, edition of the human genome was released about 20 years ago. And it really came with kind of all of this um, excitement and about how this is going to revolutionize healthcare and make all the healthcare decisions, you know, very personalized to that person's um, DNA that they're born with, their genetic makeup that they're born with, as well as if some disease develops, oftentimes diseases are due to, to um, some of the DNA in a particular cell going haywire, right? And so our ability to see those changes um, should help us provide better, more targeted drugs, have a better idea about how a disease might progress, right? So we were really excited about this um, 20 years ago. And there's just a couple of unusual things in this space. You know, one thing that people, most people aren't aware of is that this is a special terminology for these tests that we use in precision medicine called laboratory developed tests. And they happen to fall into this kind of regulatory loophole where they don't have to undergo and any kind of FDA review before they go on the market. And um, a lot of times, especially since the sequencing of the human genome, a, a lot of 
um, investors have been interested in, in this space and a lot of entrepreneurs have been interested in this space, but oftentimes they don't come from a healthcare background. And so they haven't been like really rigorously trained in how you do kind of clinical test design and validation. So that kind of lack of initial experience and the lack of regulatory oversight has led to a lot of unproven tests entering the market. And that creates a lot of confusion for payers and a lot of confusion for providers because you can't tell the difference between a test that is really impactful and reliable and a test that um, that really, I mean, it might not even detect what it says it detects. It might not detect it as well it says it detects. And the, the utility of knowing that information has probably not been established. So what is United Health Group and Optum doing to get genomics and precision medicine over that hump so it, it, it is more useful and it really starts to deliver on that promise? Yeah, United Health Group is really in a unique position to be able to kind of quote unquote unstick precision medicine, right? Because we can impact really um, both of the two big problems that I described. We can, um, you know, increase our, you know, the quality standards for the, the tests that we pay for. Um, and there's certainly, you know, some efforts in the industry that have been going on in this direction already. And an example of this would be a program called um, Moldex at, at Palmetto, which is a um, one of the MACs for Medicare. Um, and they do quality checks for, of the tests before they'll cover, you know, or even consider them for coverage. Um, and so kind of carrying on in that in that same vein, there are certain groups in, in Optum that are exploring ways that we could maybe help the industry by checking and to make sure that there's more quality in these tests. Um, and then um, my team uh, is also standing up a, a program, but we're calling it Evidence Engine when we were talking about it amongst ourselves. And um, the, the purpose for this is to actually help the test developers um, understand the evidence they need and then help them get that evidence more quickly than ever before. So um, with the assets that we have at Optum and, um, and at UHG generally, and with the skill sets that we have, um, we're, we're able to kind of pull this data together from either pre-existing data sets or in you know, potentially partnering um, with the teams at Optum, Optum Care Research Institute or other places where you can deploy a, a research program and, and facilitate the development of and proper development of this evidence so that payers and providers can more easily and quickly make an informed decision about um, coverage and utilization. You've been in this space for some time and you've seen some uh, missteps and some, uh, you know, uh, uh, some problems and you, you've seen the challenges. How optimistic or excited does the evidence engine make you, given that it it potentially could finally get some of this, uh, some of these tests uh, rolling or at least moving a little bit quicker? Uh, it, for me, this is like a very exciting career opportunity to be a part of this. I, I kind of make the joke all the time that I've been training my whole life for this. Um, it, it has been frustrating to spend 25 30 years in molecular diagnostics and then what has become precision medicine and to see so many potentially really good ideas die in the vine um, because of the problems that I've mentioned and this time to market um, and this uncertainty about what kind of evidence you need and why and how do you tell the story to the healthcare market space. 
and, and um, we're really putting together a program that can can save those products, right? Can get these potentially really impactful precision medicine products to patients more quickly, and you know, kind of really start to fulfill this promise of precision medicine um, in value based care. Well, Dr. Hagencord, thanks so much for being on the podcast. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. That's it for this episode of United Health Group's Weekly Dose Podcast. Don't forget, subscribe to the Weekly Dose Podcast on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Thanks for listening and have a great rest of your week.